0: These are difficult times, but as John Lewis is pastor, I don't have a right to give up. I'm going to keep fighting a good fight. I think we have to fight for this. This is our democracy.
1: Yeah, it is. That fight is getting exhausting, isn't it? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something right. Oh, so it is. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs Clowns to the left of me Jokers to the right Here I am stuck in the middle with you Yep From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles This is The Bradcast As heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding On KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN And Eureka's KGOE up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso, and Eugene's KEPW. Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. In Palinville, New York on WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR in Minneapolis-St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square, Radio Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow. Says me from Bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. And boy howdy, when Republicans find some someone that they actually care about protecting from violent gun death, boy, can they sure act fast to pass legislation to try and protect them, at least, from being killed, eh?
2: Yeah, funny how that works, isn't it?
1: Hi Des. Hi. On Tuesday, the U.S. House voted 396 to 27 to pass a bill extending security protections to Supreme Court justices' immediate family members. The bill, called the Supreme Court Police Parity Act of 2022, will now be sent to President Biden to be signed into law. It was introduced by Republican Senator John Cornyn of Texas and passed in the U.S. Senate just last month. After, as CNN describes it, being placed squarely into the spotlight, I would add, by Republicans (laughs) following the bombshell leak of a draft majority opinion that would that will strike down Roe v. Wade, the 1973 Supreme Court ruling that established a nationwide constitutional right to an abortion. One that is about to be overturned and taken away by right-wingers who apparently now get to decide which constitutional freedoms are or aren't allowed for Americans like you and me. The leak of that draft opinion sparked public outcry and led to an increase in protests over the likelihood of the landmark ruling being overturned probably about two weeks or so from today. Are you ready? Are you buckled up? Supreme Court justices, by the way, are already covered by federal security protection under U.S. Code. This bill would extend those protections to immediate family members of the justices as well. Security protections surrounding the high court received fresh attention after the Justice Department charged a man last week uh, who was arrested near Justice Brett Kavanaugh's house in Maryland after threatening to kidnap and or murder him the house did not immediately move to take up the senate bill that was passed last month however because democrats had sought to change the bill to also include security for the family members of supreme court clerks and staff as well well that would be nice but as politically motivated calls from republicans grew to pass the senate bill through the house right now House Speaker Nancy Pelosi informed her leadership team that the House would, in fact, pass the Senate bill to help end the increasingly acrimonious standoff with Republicans over the issue. As CNN describes it, I would call it the increasingly opportunistic effort to distract from desperately needed legislation to protect all Americans from gun violence who aren't a Supreme Court justice or related to one of them. Given that the uh, bill's Senate sponsor, John Cornyn, is actually from Texas, where 19 fourth graders and two teachers were murdered in cold blood just three weeks ago, one might have expected some legislation to actually help protect all of us by, oh, I don't know, banning the sale of semi-automatic weapons and large capacity magazines to 18 year olds by now. But, you know, Republican priorities matter. Just not those of the vast majority of the American people.
2: Yeah, we are ruled by a radical Republican minority.
1: Oh, no, they're conservative. They're very conservative. They're not radical at all.
2: But they are a minority, and they do run everything at this point.
1: Yeah, and they're not conservative either.
2: The Republican veto of everything.
1: Of course, especially when it's a question of protecting the GOP's corrupted and packed and stolen U.S. Supreme Court and... Uh, their right to radically overturn pretty much everything that you think you know about settled law and the judicial system in these United States. And if you think that I'm exaggerating, well, the great Mark Joseph Stern, ace Supreme Court reporter and legal expert uh, from Slate.com, joins us in a moment. We will ask him about exactly that. Anyway, on this uh, on this bill, House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer said Tuesday, as all of you know, I would have preferred to move a bill which was a little more comprehensive. I might have suggested personally they add to the Senate legislation a ban on semi-automatic weapons and change the uh, minimum age to buy any firearms from uh, 18 to 21, and then dare Republicans to vote against protecting both the families of Supreme Court justices and the families of all Americans. But you know what? I'm not in charge. So, you know, Democrats have a lot of political considerations, I suppose, to make these days for good or ill, as we are in the middle of uh, midterm primary season. And to that end, voters in four states on Tuesday are voting in critical midterm elections in Maine, Nevada, North Dakota, South Carolina. And a, a special U.S. House election in Texas, by the way, which could flip a current, uh, a currently vacant, historically Democratic House seat from blue to red, but only through the end of this year's congressional session. Uh, Democrats don't seem to be particularly concerned about it because the uh, Democratic-leaning 34th congressional district is being combined into another. Democratic-leaning district in the newly gerrymandered Texas state congressional maps, which will be used in this November's election in any event. Uh, Before we get to Mark, the House committee investigating January 6th attack on the Capitol has postponed a hearing scheduled for Wednesday that was to focus on its findings about Donald Trump's attempt to use the Justice Department to steal the 2020 election. Democratic Congresswoman Zoe Zoe Lofgren of California, a member of the committee, uh, said, quote, It's just a technical issue, explaining that for staff aides who were compiling all of these videos to be showcased at the session, quote, It was overwhelming, she said, so we're trying to give them a little room. It's not a big deal, she told reporters, explaining that the delay was not a substantive issue, not related to the availability of witnesses, etc., Whether that's true or not, of course, I don't know, but that's what uh, uh, Congressman Lofgren has said. Wednesday's hearings were to feature Jeffrey Rosen, Trump's former acting AG who replaced Bill Barr after he quit, Richard Donahue, the former acting deputy attorney general, and Steve Engel, the former assistant AG in charge of the Office of Legal Counsel, all of who were uh, and presumably are still are uh, once rescheduled, uh, going to discuss Trump's failed attempt to decapitate the head of the DOJ by removing Jeffrey Rosen, replacing him before January 6th with a low-level staffer named Jeffrey Clark who had drafted up a letter to send to all of the swing state legislatures falsely claiming that the DOJ had found massive fraud in their state and urged them to select Electors for Donald Trump instead, who actually were not elected by the voters in those states, the uh, panel, however, so hopefully that will be rescheduled. In the meantime, the panel is still scheduled currently to hold its hearing on Thursday, focusing on Trump's pressure campaign against Vice President Mike Pence to try to persuade him to throw out Joe Biden's victory. That hearing is expected to include potentially important revelations about the steps that Trump and his allies took to try to compel, to force the vice president to overturn the election. Uh, That uh, hearing is set to feature J. Michael Luttig, a very well-respected and very, yes, conservative judge, who, who advised uh, Pence at the time, uh, telling him that there was no lawful or constitutional justification for tossing out the legitimate electors selected by the voters in those swing states. Also scheduled to appear on Thursday is Greg J- Jacob. He is uh, Pence's top White House lawyer He has provided the committee evidence about the role played by the far right wackadoodle lawyer, John Eastman, who wrote a memo uh, that uh, both parties have described as a blueprint for a coup. Eastman advised Trump that Pence could throw out, could just throw out the electoral votes at a whim if he wanted to uh, from the states that Trump had lost So Greg Jacob, he is uh, Pence's attorney, the guy who texted Eastman as the Capitol was under attack and Trump's insurrectionists were chanting, hang Mike Pence. Jacob texted to Eastman, quote, thanks to your B.S., we are now under siege. Liz Cheney. The uh, vice chairwoman of the committee said last week that the panel had received testimony that when Trump learned of the mob's threats to hang Mike Pence, he said, quote, maybe our supporters have the right idea, adding that Mike Pence, quote, deserves it. So uh, that guy, that president who was calling for his own vice president to be uh, hanged, That president was also allowed, by the way, to name three far-right U.S. Supreme Court justices to the highest court in the land. And the fruit of that poison tree is also now coming to light for those who failed to heed all of our warnings about it up until now. Mark Joseph Stern joins us next next to discuss that madness. I'm Brad Friedman. You're listening to The Bradcast. (laughs) Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from BradBlog.com. In case you haven't noticed lately, there has been quite a bit going on in these United States of late, and we have been sort of hanging on for dear life each day on the show to try and both stay up to date and keep you up to date with the stuff. That matters most. That has necessarily meant some triage in recent weeks, forcing us to kick the can down the road a bit on stuff we might otherwise have liked to have covered already. One of those things that we have backburnered of late is all of the action ongoing and upcoming at the GOP's corrupted, stolen, and packed U.S. Supreme Court with its current term coming to a close in the next week or three and some blockbuster opinions coming very soon that may well result in even more blockbuster opinions in the years ahead. For example, if the GOP's corrupted court majority decides to overturn the 50 years of well-established constitutional freedoms, of Roe v. Wade and its protections of both abortion rights and privacy rights, a number of other long settled constitutional freedoms regarding privacy, such as marriage equality, contraception, potentially even interracial marriage, could thereafter fall as a result. A critical upcoming opinion on well-regulated rules for packing concealed weapons in New York could undermine similar regulations in states across the country, even as huge majorities of the nation are clamoring for more gun safety laws, not fewer such regulations. There is more, of course, and there is also the matter of the drip, drip, drip evidence coming to light. that Ginny Thomas, the wife of the court's most corrupt justice, Clarence Thomas, and that's uh, not an easy contest to win these days, by the way. Jenny uh, was not only at the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. She also played a much larger part than anyone had realized in her efforts to encourage Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, to help Trump steal the 2020 election. And she also sent messages to at least 29 Republican lawmakers in Arizona to help convince them to steal the election for Trump in that state. All the while, the court has been releasing other opinions, which have received much less coverage, given everything else that is going on at the same time. So here now to help us catch up uh, on some of what has gone down at the high court this session and on the various earthquakes, legal earthquakes still to come in the very near future is one of our Favorite U.S. Supreme Court correspondents, the great Mark Joseph Stern, who covers nothing less than the law, the court system, the U.S. Supreme Court, election law, LGBTQ issues, and much more. For Slate.com, oh, Mark, welcome back to the broadcast, amigo.
2: Uh,
0: Wouldn't be a true June if I didn't get to talk to you, Brad.
1: Uh, It's a too true June, I'm sorry to say, and I'm glad to talk to you. Sort of. okay. we've got uh, a lot to catch up with, uh, uh, catch up on with you in a very short time. So let me see uh, how we can do here by starting with the latest very disturbing opinion on several levels, Mark, uh, to come out from the high court, actually from the courts, plural, as this also involves a corrupted lower court as well as I see it on Monday. And it sort of seems to set the table, if I'm understanding it, for what is to come in the weeks ahead. So let me just read just the first paragraph, Mark, of your coverage of this opinion released on Monday uh, by the uh, Supreme Court. You write, Terrence Andrus' childhood was horrific. From an early age, he faced uh, heinous physical abuse and neglect at home. As a teenager, he was tormented by both peers and guards in juvenile detention. Andrus had a right to present this evidence to the jury at his capital trial, but his lawyers declined, ensuring that his client would be condemned to death. In 2020, the Supreme Court held that this failure, among others, violated the Sixth Amendment guarantee of effective counsel. And then in an extraordinary act of defiance, five Republican judges on a lower court rejected, rejected The Supreme Court's finding, insisting that the higher court got it wrong. What? Uh, These judges all but dared the Supreme Court to bring them into line as the case came back to the court. And this week on Monday, well, guess what happened? The U.S. Supreme Court reminded that lower state court that they, the Supreme Court, is in charge of setting precedent, not those lower courts. Right, Mark? (laughs) I love that
0: joke. That is what a real court would do. But this is our Supreme Court. And so it did no such thing.
2: Which
1: is amazing. uh, So uh, just they made this decision in just two years ago that uh, this guy did not get his uh, Sixth Amendment right to effective counsel. What, if anything, has changed between 2020 and now just two short years uh, ago that that the court is uh, essentially throwing out its own ruling from two years ago? not just
0: throwing out its own ruling, but allowing a lower court to throw out that ruling, Mm -hmm. effectively letting the lower court overrule the Supreme Court from below, which is simply not how this works. But what appears to have happened is that last time around in 2020, there were four liberal justices who shamed one or two conservatives into joining them. Now, of course, there are only three liberal justices, and while all of them dissented in this case, they could not find a single conservative to join them because, of course, Amy Coney Barrett has replaced Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And so the newly constituted conservative majority basically just allowed the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals To say, we disagree with the Supreme Court and will not follow its precedent and condemn this man to an unconstitutional execution.
1: And in this case, even uh, Chief Justice John Roberts and Brett Kavanaugh, not a surprise, but Roberts, they were in the majority ordering the court, the uh, state court, to rethink its ruling essentially two years ago. They now appear to have turned on their own opinion from two years ago, letting the lower court uh, bigfoot on them.
0: Yes. And I'm really surprised that John Roberts would do this. Uh Not Kavanaugh. He has no principles. But Roberts has always believed in the Supreme Court's uh, total and unquestioned supremacy over lower courts and has actually... Golded lower court judges for uh, defying the Supreme Court's precedents in the past. But I guess those days are over, and this time around, he didn't even care enough to join Sotomayor's defense.
1: So does that mean that the Sixth Amendment uh, right to effective counsel is effectively over at this point? <laughs> I
0: mean, it, what it means is that lower court's Can essentially nullify the Sixth Amendment right to counsel, and know that the Supreme Court will not bring them into line and overrule them. And I think it's important to talk about this dynamic because it's not just uh, you know the question of whether precedent exists or not. It's not just did the Supreme Court uphold or overturn this precedent. The question is also is the Supreme Court consistently enforcing its own precedent? And when the Supreme Court stops doing that, it really does send this message, a kind of wink and a nod, to lower courts that they can start defying these disfavored precedents, Mm -hmm. start nullifying these disfavored constitutional rights and get away with it. And that is a scary new phase We've seen it happen with abortion already, but now it's moving into right to counsel. And I don't know where it'll go next, but I guarantee this isn't the end of it. Yeah,
1: you're right. There can be no settled law when SCOTUS lets rogue just, uh, judges flout its own rulings and get away with it. And that seems to be what exactly what has happened here. Uh, Mark, does this signal some sort of an emerging uh, federalist uh, you know, court rebellion uh, at the state level with state courts saying, Hey, hey, U.S. Supreme Court, you you can't tell us state courts what to do when it comes to our own state laws, or am I reading too much into that?
0: Well, it's not just state courts. It's also lower federal courts. We are seeing courts like the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals uh, simply disobey mandates from the Supreme Court. And I don't think you're overreading this at all. Uh, the, the Supreme Court, or at least the conservatives, are telling these judges, hey, we aren't going to smack you or overrule you if you defy precedent in a way we dislike. In fact, we will reward you for it because you are making our jobs easier. You are allowing us to pretend that we adhere to precedent while, in fact, completely nullifying it. And we don't have to face the political backlash that we might, if we took a step forward and actually admitted we are abolishing this ruling.
1: Is is it my imagination here, or does this ruling sort of put us in a place where the legal system itself in the U.S. is suddenly on even shakier grounds than many of us might have been worried about uh, prior to this.
0: Yes, and specifically, it's an affront to what Sotomayor calls vertical stare decisis, which sounds very complicated, but it's not. It's simply the principle that the courts are a hierarchy and lower courts must follow the commands of higher courts. That is bedrock law, and it is what allows for a functioning judiciary and, like I said, a kind of settled series of decisions that we can all live and abide by. And if that goes out the window, everything is up for grabs, and it's impossible to know what rights you have today and whether they'll be taken away tomorrow.
1: Which makes it even more extraordinary, frankly, that Chief Justice John Roberts... Has gone along with this. I sort of i, I, I get the other ones that they, they don't give a damn about anything. They'll do whatever they feel like doing at any given time. But I, I don't understand. I feel like there's something I'm missing that would have made John Roberts go along. What am I missing? In that I mean, regard? if
0: you look at this case alongside one that was decided a few weeks ago called Shin versus Ramirez. Uh huh. What you see is a conservative supermajority that really does not think that people who have been convicted and sentenced deserve a second chance or deserve an opportunity to show why their conviction and their sentence were unjust and unconstitutional. That decision, uh, which really flew under the radar, essentially said that even when someone has in- immense proof that they are innocent not just, you know, that their rights were violated, mm-hmm. but that they could not have committed the crime for which they were convicted, that even then they have no right to gather evidence and present it in federal court. And so I think if you combine that decision and this one and a few others that we've gotten this term, you see the Supreme Court trying to make courts the final word and specifically trying to make convictions permanent forever, even when there's new facts and new law that cast doubt on the legitimacy of those convictions. So this is a kind of law and order dream that the conservative justices are pursuing, even at great cost to the order and discipline of their own judiciary.
1: And, of course, our our, uh, conversation here about, you know, what this decision actually means, uh, unfortunately, sort of buries the uh, tragic nature of this story. Uh, And I'll point folks to your coverage over at Slate.com, Mark. But, uh, you know, as you note, the story of Uh, This guy, Terrence Andrus, is tragic. His mother engaged in sex work and drugs uh, and drug use when he was a child, selling and abusing drugs in front of the kids. She also beat her children with a board. At times, she disappeared for extended periods, left her kids without supervision or food. Her boyfriends were often violent, beating her and her children. In addition, one boyfriend raped his uh, younger sister uh, as a preteen, he was diagnosed with effective psychosis, sent into notorious uh, juvenile correction system at age 16 in Texas, dosed with massive quantities of psychotropic drugs, which were inappropriate for his condition, locked in solitary nearly 80 times. And then at the age of 20, during carjacking, he attempted while high on PCP. Andrus killed two people. He was charged uh, with capital murder, but the public... Uh, counsel that he received his his uh, uh, attorneys were so bad most of that information was never introduced at all in the courts during his uh, his trial i 'm understanding that correctly
0: that 's right and, and it 's just really important to to clarify here that when you are uh, facing a death sentence you actually have a constitutional right Mm -hmm. to present that evidence to the jury. And in Texas, if you can persuade one juror that this evidence diminishes your culpability and and your future dangerousness, you become ineligible for the death penalty. So if his lawyer had simply done 30 minutes of investigation and put one reliable witness on Mm -hmm. the stand to tell the jury about all of this, he would not have been his client would not have been sentenced to death i mean i often say death row is filled with people who had terrible lawyers and the reality is that outside of extreme circumstances like very public acts of terrorism mm-hmm. every single person on death row received ineffective assistance mm. of counsel the Supreme Court knows that. They don't want all of those people to get new sentences, and I think that that is part of the mm. fear and anger that is driving decisions like this one.
1: Well, it didn't drive a decision like this two years ago when the court decided another way, and now a state court says, uh, we don't care what the U.S. Supreme Court says, and the U.S. Supreme Court says, well, okay, <laughs> I guess no problem then. It's, it's up to you uh, you know, what, which laws uh, you wish to follow. Uh, it's like the wild, wild west. Mark, is it, is it also my imagination or, or an over-interpretation at this point that the only amendment in the Constitution that seems to be sacrosanct is the court's bastardized interpretation of the Second Amendment, which completely ignores the well-regulated militia part, for example, of that simple amendment? Uh, and maybe the narrow religious freedoms section of the First Amendment, but that everything else pretty much uh, in the Constitution is kind of up to the whims of the of this wildly corrupted and, yes, activist court at this point.
0: Yes, and, and I was about to say, you know, they, they only read the first part of the First Amendment. They talk about how there's religious freedom and free exercise. They don't talk about the separation of church and state and the establishment clause. Mm -hmm. So they are very active and shameless about just editing out the clauses and words in the Bill of Rights that do not serve their purpose and inserting new words and clauses that do, ideas like the non-delegation doctrine that we've talked about, conservative obsessions that exist nowhere in the text of the Constitution, and yet we're still supposed to call these people textualists.
1: Yeah. And and we're supposed to call them uh, conservatives when these are not conservative uh, decisions or readings. I mean, these are radical Uh, anything but conservative. Okay, uh, Mark, uh, speaking of uh, chucking well-established freedoms and precedents out the window and previewing what is likely to come from SCOTUS in the uh, weeks ahead and uh, as the term ends and big opinions are released. We haven't spoken to you on this program since Sam Alito's obnoxious leaked draft of the uh, Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization case was published, revealing that the court is uh, on the precipice of completely overturning... 1973's landmark Roe v. Wade decision, and frankly, all of the established constitutional freedoms that made it possible, like the right to privacy and the use of contraception in Griswold and uh, those that have come out of it, uh, out of uh, Roe v. Wade, like the right to same-sex marriage established in Obergefell. Have you heard anything since that unprecedented leak of that uh, majority draft, majority opinion, to suggest that the court's Apparent five to four majority opinion that would kill Roe has changed in any way uh, in the weeks since that original leak.
0: So, I would love to tell you that I have an inside contact at the court who is feeding me up to date information on this, but I, I do not, no one I know at the court actually knows anything about this. My understanding is that the justices have really cracked down on the sharing of opinions out of fear of a further leak Mm -hmm. and out of horror of what's leaked so far, and kind of closing the circle of individuals who are privy to the court's decision-making process. So I am skeptical that we will get any more leaks Uh, before this decision actually comes down. And, in fact, I I, I think that the leaker, him or herself, may not even have access anymore. Now, I don't know who the leaker is, of course. I suspect it's a conservative rather than a liberal. But my guess is that we've seen the last of the leaks, and the next time we see a draft of Dobbs, it will be the final opinion.
1: Is all that secrecy, by the way, a good thing? That that this, uh, you know, this leak has violated?
0: I mean... (laughs) I don't think that most of the Supreme Court's secrecy is very healthy. I think that its total lack of transparency in decision making can be very noxious uh and just bad for the country which deserves a, a clearer glimpse into its work and into the individual justices thought processes. I understand and accept that there are some aspects of decision making that need to be kept secret until there is a final product, but I am very concerned that the justices have total control over their own papers and can prevent them from being released forever. And in fact many have burned their papers. Mm. You know in any really? of other- branch of government. That could be a federal crime. But in SCOTUS, they're allowed to do whatever they want. So
1: even if there's a
0: justification for keeping this stuff secret in the short term, it should all be released in the long term for the public
1: to peruse. Wow, fascinating. I had no idea they were allowed to do that. Uh, And and just to be clear, by the way, if there is a change in the uh, majority opinion on that case, uh, sort of a best case scenario would be that uh, they end up uh, not completely overturning Roe, but still uh, cutting the knees out from under it, essentially by uh, allowing Mississippi's uh, uh, 15 weeks uh, uh, law. Uh, and actually, since they've let Texas, you know, stop every all abortions as of uh, six weeks, essentially, uh, even in a best case scenario, we're pretty much decimating Roe v. Wade. No matter what happens, is is that a correct assessment?
0: Yes, that's right. I mean, it's, it's pretty tragic that that is the best-case scenario here. Yeah. But, you know, if you rewind six months, that's what I and many others assumed would happen in this case. Yeah. I thought that Kavanaugh and Barrett would want to go with Roberts in upholding a 15-week ban, uh, but not formally overturning Roe itself and waiting till the next case. Now, of course, we know that... Um, Two of those three appear to just want to get it over with, mm-hmm. and John Roberts is lobbying for one of them to flip, and it appears to have not been successful.
1: And I will say you have been on this show warning at least for the past year that this was uh, going to be coming. Uh, now, uh, Sam Alito's draft opinion uh, said that his, his his reasoning for overturning Roe should not apply to any other matters, any other cases, that the very same exact reasoning applies to, like Griswold or Obergefell. So am I over-interpreting the dangers of what this opinion is likely to do above and beyond overturning Roe, as if that is not horrible enough already?
0: You are not over-reading it at all. And um, I-, I would just highlight... This, this connection to our earlier conversation, you know, Alito has put stuff in the opinion that cast a lot of doubt on decisions protecting the right to privacy for gay people, for interracial couples, uh, for people who use contraception, and lower courts will pick up on that. Lower courts will see upon that language and use it to start overturning those rights before SCOTUS even gets a chance to. Mm. And that's why understanding this dynamic of overruling below is so important, because SCOTUS can just stop enforcing a precedent and in doing so can effectively allow the lower courts to nullify it.
1: And Clarence Thomas, who is in an interracial marriage himself, surely must look at this and realize the problem with this reasoning, No.
0: Clarence Thomas has a very complicated psychological complex that allows him to fully cut off... His personal life and personal feelings from his work life and work feelings at least that is what he has told us and how he has explained away his relationship with an insurrectionist named Jenny Thomas. so I will not purport to guess about that
1: I see all right well, I had another question about her we 'll get to in a moment i hope uh let 's uh, move to guns here this uh, landmark uh, there was a landmark two thousand and eight ruling by activist Justice Antonin Scalia, the late. In that case, the Supreme Court cited the right to self-defense by divining from the Second Amendment's right for a well-regulated militia to bear arms and individual's right to keep guns in one's own home. And now the court is weighing a challenge to New York City's law requiring a special application to carry a concealed weapon on the streets of New York. Uh, What should we expect from the, the court there in the next week? And what effect will it have beyond New York?
0: We should expect the Supreme Court to declare that there is a Second Amendment right in every state in the country to carry a concealed weapon in public spaces, even if you have no particularly good reason to want one, and that that right cannot be infringed without a very strong interest uh, from the government, which the court will then explain does not really exist. And in doing so, will unleash, I think, a wave of violence in states like California Mm -hmm. and New York that have These pretty strict limits on concealed carry that will be attributable to the Supreme Court. But of course, the court will be in its own uh, sort of palace, you know, surrounded by guards and fences. Mm -hmm. And so the justices will not have to face the lethal consequences of their own ruling.
1: And when this ruling comes down in a week or so, uh, if it if it goes the way you're suggesting it will, does that mean that uh, essentially all of the uh, concealed carry laws uh, uh, along the lines of New York's are immediately Uh, uh, Vanished at that
0: point? Yes. That is basically what it means. Those laws will become unenforceable, and lower courts will be obligated, unless they want to defy SCOTUS, to uh, strike them down and render them uh, a nullity. Well,
1: apparently defying SCOTUS is just fine now, as we've learned from the the Texas case.
0: If you defy it from the right. (sighs)
1: All right. uh, Let's continue on with the terrible news, Mark. Uh, West Virginia uh, versus EPA. That is a challenge, as I understand it, and, and a bizarre one to President Obama's clean power plan. Uh, that would have incentivized the transition away from polluting coal-fired power plants to clean energy production. But that uh, that plan was already put on hold in, in courts, uh, in a court challenge, and then it was essentially replaced entirely by a Donald Trump energy plan. But for some reason, the court is still hearing West Virginia's challenge to that. Why? What is going on here? And what should we expect from the court? And, and what does it signal in, in, in sort of the broader sense?
0: Well, this case is incredibly bizarre because, as you said, there is no rule right now. I repeat, no rule, no regulation that is limiting carbon emissions from coal-fired power plants. None. And yet the Supreme Court is deciding whether... The uh, uh, the Biden administration mm-hmm. can issue a rule limiting carbon emissions from power plants. Now, you might be asking, how could it possibly be that the Supreme Court will rule on a regulation that does not yet exist, that <laughs> may in yes. fact never exist? And the answer is that the usual rules about actually taking a live controversy do not seem to apply when the conservative supermajority really wants to kneecap the Biden administration's regulatory agenda. Uh And so even though the court has nothing to strike down, it will almost certainly issue a decision purporting to strike down a regulation that doesn't even exist.
1: Kind of uh, the word pre-crime comes to mind here for some reason, and it's one of the reasons I wanted to start with that uh, case of uh, Terrence Anderson, Texas, because it just illustrates how this entire system that you and I have been talking about now for years on this show uh, and, and sort of warning about becoming more and more bastardized is becoming exactly that in virtually every fashion. You know, for years it's like, oh, are we being too alarmist? Now I'm starting to wonder, have we not been alarmist enough, Mark?
0: I would say that you and I have been the exact right amount of alarmist. (laughs) Good, okay. (laughs) Uh, But that we have been told this entire time that we're overreacting and that, you know, we're just... So crazy and so manic and, you know, just reading too much into this court, and yet time and time again, the court has proved that it is going rogue, that it is lawless, that it is really corrupted by partisan politics. And so, you know, I don't want an apology from everyone who accused me of being hysterical, but I would like them to wise up to what the court is doing now, especially those on the left, mm-hmm. and not make this mistake in the future because it was already a very costly one for us right now.
1: Yes, I would agree. And uh, to that end, let me jump, see if I can qu- uh, quickly get in two more points. The uh, co- uh, Speaking of things to be alarmed about, the court is expected... Uh, I think, to decide whether it's going to take a case that the court's right-wingers have sort of been chomping at the bit to get at, uh, to hear, in order to issue a majority ruling, uh, possibly for the first time in U.S. history, that the Constitution includes a so-called independent state legislature doctrine, which... Uh, If the court recognizes this doctrine would be another judicial earthquake and a gift, I think, to far right wingers to establish that uh, the idea that only state legislatures may make any rules or laws regarding federal elections, which means that secretaries of state, governors, even state courts, even popular ballot initiatives may not do so. I would I guess I don't know if they just those laws, those rules become defunct. I mean, this would be an unspeakable change to more than 250 years of how elections for president Congress are run at the state level, uh, as I understand this. So, A, will the court take up such a case to make this determination in next year's term with the decision to come conveniently in 2023? Uh, And B, if so, will they actually pull this trigger? And I guess C, if so, what kind of unspeakable electoral chaos would then be teed up before the next presidential election?
0: I think the answers are yes and yes. And this is another thing that I've been sort of ringing the alarm about. Yeah. Many people do not remember this was a part of Bush versus Gore. Yeah. And the uh, moderates, uh, Kennedy and O'Connor, refused to go along with it. But it has been a revived theory over the last few years. Uh, Federalist society scholars have pushed it really hard. And now Republicans are using it to try to prevent governors, state courts, election boards, from protecting the right to vote and putting limits on stuff like voter suppression and partisan gerrymandering. Uh, And I do think that the court will take a step to either limit or abolish the ability of anyone other than a state legislature to set the rules for federal elections. But I'll tell you, that's not even what concerns me the most. If you take this theory to its logical extreme, it means that state legislatures could do exactly what Trump wanted them to do in 2020 and simply appoint their electors to the Electoral College to whichever candidate they choose. All they would have to do is raise baseless claims of fraud. And then say that, you know, because there was a, no way to know the outcome of the election, our electors are going to the Republican. And that is what frightens me more than anything else, because I think it is a very real and plausible possibility.
1: I, I don't even think they need to, uh, you know, come up with a thin thread of fraud if they want under this notion. It seems to me that a state legislature can do any damn thing they want when it comes to the, you know, uh, uh, the time and manner or whatever that is of of federal elections. They can just say, you know what, we don't like Joe Biden. We like Donald Trump better. We want to give our our uh, our, our electors to him. I mean, Mark, it seems to me, as you know, we cover elections quite a bit on this show. In my uh, 20 years of covering elections, I cannot imagine what will happen if essentially uh, you know, anything other than what the uh, state legislature determines to be the law uh, can be thrown out? I mean, it seems like madness this way comes if the Supreme Court does as you are suggesting they, want, they will do.
0: I don't know what to tell you, except that madness is coming, and all we can do is try to prepare for it as best we can, because this is the direction that the conservative justices are moving in. They have telegraphed it very clearly, and they are moving us there just on schedule.
1: And I think uh, we make a mistake not to pay attention to Mark's warnings here. Uh, finally, here, Mark, uh, as mentioned earlier, uh, we're learning more and more each day about the corrupt Republican judicial activist known as Clarence Thomas and his corrupt activist wife, Jenny. Not only being present for the uh, January 6th insurrection, but playing a larger role than previously known, lobbying Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, to toss out election results, lobbying about 30 state lawmakers in Arizona to toss out the results under that independent state legislature doctrine notion. I mean, I guess the easy question, of course, should Clarence Thomas recuse from any Supreme Court cases having anything to do with the 2020 election or the insurrection? Uh, the uh, second easiest question, will Clarence Thomas do so? And in either case, should Clarence Thomas at this point simply be impeached, even if such an uh, an, uh, an, op- uh, an option will never result in his removal via a trial in the U.S. Senate. Should it be done anyway?
0: I mean, I think your first two questions, answer themselves. Of course he should recuse, and of course he won't. Impeachment, I just, I leave that to the politicians. I don't know the answer. I worry that it would eat up valuable floor time that the House needs to pass actual legislation. I worry that it could blow back in Democrats' face. It would be a distraction. But at this stage, I don't really see any other proportional response to what Clarence Thomas is doing because he is making a real mockery of the justice system and the Supreme Court yep. and for him to just reject that fact and deny the reality of his massive conflict of interest it's not a tenable situation if we want the public to have any faith in this court maybe we don't and so Clarence Thomas is doing us a favor
1: well that's and that's really why I asked that question i mean because it's you know the question is well if none of those things then what should happen Otherwise, I guess the question is everything simply optional now when it comes to the behavior of the highest court in the land and its justices? Yes.
0: And it always has been. And we need to wake up to the fact that this is no way to run a democracy.
1: Well, thank you for uh, joining us to wake us up here, Mark, uh, today. And frankly, uh, for so many years, uh, I, you know, I hope the people have been listening to your warnings. Apparently not enough because, boy, I think we are headed for some dark times. Uh, Mark Joseph Stern, thank you for being here through them and for trying to warn us about them. Mark Joseph Stern, his work can be found at Slate.com, on the Twitters at MJS underscore DC. Of course, he covers the law, court system, Supreme Court, and so much more uh, for uh, Slate. Uh, Thank you, sort of, my friend, and uh, definitely my friend, but thank you, sort of, and I sort of look uh, forward to talking again soon.
0: (laughs) Always a pleasure, come hell or high water. Thanks, Brad.
1: Thank you, brother.
2: Well, uh, okay. Well, that was bracing. That
1: was uh, even more unsettling than I had expected, Yes <laughs> actually, yeah. for some reason. And,
2: and what really strikes me is just how right both of you have been all of these years in your predictions of, hey, big warning here, yeah. you know, the the radical right-wing takeover of the yep. Supreme Court, if you let them in, they will take away your rights and and really upend our system of free and fair elections and judicial you know, precedent and all of that stuff.
1: And and uh, reproductive freedom and the right to stay safe and uh, the
2: EPA's authority the EP- to regulate greenhouse gas emissions which things. will be crucial for saving the world and not so much
1: predictions <sighs> at the time over the past several years but warnings yes. warnings about exactly this that's the better word And it is unsettling. Uh, And so for that, I apologize. On the other hand, coming up after a quick break will be Desi Doyen with the Green News Report, which (laughs) is always calming. Uh, (laughs) uh, Feels good. Makes you. Yeah, uh,
2: not so much. No. We'll see. Not so much. We'll We'll do our best. We'll do
1: our best. That's straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Okay, well, I'm I'm reviewing my GNR cheat sheet here, Desi Dwayne. Oh, and, and let's see. That's not good. That's <laughs> not good. That's even more. That's no uh, good at all. There's something good. I thought, I spotted something good in see, it. See,
2: there's something there.
1: If you look hard enough, in our latest Green News Report, nearly eighty million people under heat alerts. That's a lot of hot people.
2: Another early extreme heat wave shatters records across the U.S. Yellowstone National Park closed due to catastrophic flooding. Plus,
1: Exxon made more money than God this year.
2: Gas prices and profiteering hit new record highs.
1: All of those record highs and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And
2: I'm Desi Doyon. Stand
1: by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and Snarky comment. There was a headline in every website today, gas now $5 a gallon. And everyone in L.A. went, oh, finally some good news. (laughs) Ain't it the truth? This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, summer barely underway, but already the extreme weather is uh, causing a problem pretty much everywhere.
2: (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Extreme weather is ruining vacations, especially in Yellowstone National Park in Wyoming, which indefinitely closed all entrances and began evacuating some park visitors on Monday after record rainfall caused record flooding and mudslides that washed out roads, at least one bridge, and knocked out power. to the park and nearby gateway communities. So
1: all of Yellowstone National Park closed in the middle of summer tourist season? Yes.
2: Mm. The rest of the nation is broiling. Another early extreme heat event shattered records in the Southwest over the weekend with Phoenix, Las Vegas, Denver, and California's Death Valley all posting new high temperature records. Texas hit a new record for electricity demand, but its grid did hold. And it's not even peak summer yet. As we go to air the extreme heat is intensifying and expanding eastward with temperatures 20 to 30 degrees warmer than average from Minnesota to the eastern seaboard. So it is a great time to get prepared.
1: Wow, triple digits I'm seeing in Illinois, Minnesota?
2: Yep. Climate scientists warn that extreme heat waves are growing in frequency and intensity due to global warming. And it matters because excessive heat events cause more deaths in the U.S. than all other weather related disasters like hurricanes floods and tornadoes combined. Public health experts say that early extreme heat waves are especially dangerous because people are not yet acclimated to the rapid onset of high heat and high humidity. Meanwhile, gas prices have hit a new record national average of $5 a gallon, which in turn is fueling inflation. Industry experts agree that there's very little that the Biden administration can do to quickly change the market forces that have caused the surge in gasoline prices that are hitting around the world, not just in the U.S. In remarks Friday at the Port of Los Angeles, President Biden pushed back on the false narratives of the oil industry and Republicans by highlighting the oil industry's record price. Profits and calling for a windfall profits tax.
1: They have 9,000 permits to drill. They're not drilling. Why aren't they drilling? Because they make more money not producing more oil. The price goes up, number one. And number two, the reason they're not drilling is they're buying back their own stock, which should be taxed, quite frankly, buying back their own stock, And making no new investments. All good points, but Desi Doyen, let me call you out. You said that gas prices are hitting an all-new high. They're not hitting that high. They have been raised to that high by the oil companies.
2: (laughs) Excellent point.
1: And, by the way, Republicans are all in favor of this big oil profiteering. Every Democrat in the House voted in favor of a bill to stop oil and gas profiteering. Every single Republican except four voted against it they like the high prices.
2: (laughs) I guess they do. An explosion and a fire at a liquefied natural gas export facility in Freeport, Texas is not helping energy prices. That single facility accounts for more than 20% of U.S. LNG exports and will remain closed for at least three weeks. That has further tightened global natural gas supplies, triggering even higher prices. And that's a double whammy for consumers because natural gas is a feedstock for fertilizer. So Russia's Invasion of Ukraine has sent both food and fertilizer prices soaring. But high prices are good news for Russia. The New York Times reports that Russia pulled in record revenue from its exports of oil, gas and coal in the first 100 days of its war in Ukraine. See, war pays. But some good-ish news. To cut down on the massive problem of electronic waste, the European Union has agreed to a new law imposing a standard charger for smartphones, tablets and laptops. And finally, the Biden administration has unveiled the first ever standards for building out a national network of 500,000 electric vehicle charging stations by 2030. The draft regulations establish the ground rules for states to build charging station projects. Among many provisions, the new standards guarantee that every station will be accessible to all EV drivers, regardless of their location, their car brand or their charging company. So there's
1: that. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman
2: and I'm Desi Doyan.
1: And this has been your Green News Report. That's
2: it. Yes, it is. Plug it in. And it would be so much better if everything were plugged in because, you know, that explosion at that Freeport, Texas liquid natural gas yes, plant, that they, you mentioned. right before we went to air, the plant put out a new notice saying that they're going to be out for the rest of the year, potentially. Not
1: just the three weeks, I Not think you said originally? Not just the three
2: weeks, correct. And that's, that's kind of a big deal because that's going to uh, remove more natural gas supply from the market that yep. was previously estimated. Yep. Bad news for the European Union because it will raise their prices. Good news for U.S. customers because it means we don't have to compete quite so much with China and Europe.
1: And of course, I'm thinking, oh, just another explosion at an underregulated plant in Texas. That
2: could very well possibly be. An investigation is underway.
1: All right. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Thanks to my guest today, Mark Joseph Stern of Slate.com, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any others, you can download them anytime for free at bradblog.com. That is free for everyone, thanks to those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate. Yes, you make the broadcast available to everyone else in the whole wide world. So thank you for that. You can drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the BradBlog. We will see you there at all of the above until we see you here next time. Hopefully tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.